Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Scott H. Silverman, and he published in May 2021 a very timely, important book on an important subject. The title of the book is The Opioid Epidemic. What you don't know will destroy your family and your life. Very true statement considering what's going on with uh, the prevalence of this drug and so many people who've lost their lives, especially during COVID, which he points out in his book. But he can talk more about that. So Scott H. Silverman, are you there? Is that over to me, William? Yes, it is. Okay, that's great. If you're there, thought, you say yes. I thought, I thought you maybe you know you'd go no, through okay. you know, a couple Scott of more is lines there. of my, of my bio present. there, but you know, basically, it's kind of like come on in and then you know take a seat. We'll be back in an hour. No. So anyway, thank you. It's so nice to be here. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. This this is a, a difficult topic and not an easy subject. And you know, the only way that we're going to reduce stigma around self-medication and addiction is to talk about it. So I really, really appreciate the opportunity to have a platform where we can talk about it. So uh, I wasn't sure you wanted me to go that quickly, but I'm all set. So let me just a little bit about me. I live here in San Diego. Uh, I get phone calls, texts, and emails from around the world. And I am a crisis coach and a uh, interventionist and a family navigator. I also run an outpatient substance abuse treatment center called Confidential Recovery. And I am a SME, subject matter expert around the opioid crisis and addiction, accessing help, and finding ways to help families navigate to get to the best and highest level of care. So that's kind of what I do. Uh, how I got here, uh, I'm a guy in long-term recovery. I personally had my own experience with a lot of mood-altering substances and alcohol. Grew up here in San Diego in a family business. I was one of four kids. I was the black sheep. Some of you might immediately resonate with that term. And I did things that kind of got me in trouble over time and eventually got into smoking marijuana and drinking and got into a little bit of trouble. But, you know, I kept it together. I was one of those high-functioning alcoholics, they call it, and until I wasn't. And then in my late 20s, things were uh, really escalating, and I was into cocaine and other mood-altering substances, hallucinogens. And then one day, I had a miserable week on travel in New York and tried to take my own life. So that, that was kind of a, a flip switcher uh, or a switch flipper, if you will. And the next day, I flew home, and I got into treatment, got lucky, changed my career, changed my friends, changed my places and playmates. And my life was off and running in a direction I had no idea where I was going. So I basically started over and reinvented myself in my 30s. And uh, luckily, I, I've, I have a wife, my first wife still. It'll be 40 years coming up, March of 2022. And she was the one that helped hold my hand through all of it. And without that kind of support, I don't know if I'd be here talking about it today. So what that does, sharing that part of my life, I hope, will let others know that, you know, there is hope and help. Uh, you know, I'm coming up on 38 years of continuous sobriety. And what that means is I haven't had a need to drink any alcohol, take any drug, anything mood altering in my system. And that's allowed me to probably, you know, be here today and stay alive. So I got involved with, you know, doing things to help others. I ran a nonprofit for 18 years, helping people coming out of jail and prison, got into consulting. And then I opened up in a, a substance use disorder treatment center about eight years ago, primarily because I was really tired of going to funerals. And I really feel like the industry that offers treatment to people doesn't really do a very good job. And I'm in that industry. So I say that, you know, 
with pause, but also with some experience now and with the writing of the book, the opioid epidemic, I had a chance to really talk to a lot of different people around the country and sort of the people that helped me with the research. So I, I'm here today to say there is hope and help. I hope people reach out to me, Scott H. Silverman, 619-993-273. I give my phone number out because I want you to text me. I want you to call me. And I don't care where you are in the world. And if you can't get a hold of a phone, but you got access to Wi-Fi, just email me at yourcrisiscoach.com and let's talk. Right now in our country, this is a quick factoid, and I'm going to throw it back to you, William. 250 people die every single day in the U.S., behind the opioid epidemic. That is prescription medication, counterfeit drugs, fentanyl, oxycontin, heroin. Those are the primary opioids that people that are taking. And 250, unfortunately, are going to the medical examiner, having an autopsy, and within a week or two are being buried. So think about that. That is a plane crash every single day. And when you think about the average person having three to four immediate family members and then a cursory family member and then friends and colleagues, that's a lot of people every year that are being impacted by something. And there is no vaccine for the disease of addiction. Right. And so I think so right now, somebody, everybody knows somebody who can tell a story of an overdose or death, unfortunately, from opioids. So uh, you asked the question in the book, is there an epidemic? I think if you look at the stats in your book, it's really a crisis. It's, it's an epidemic and a crisis. So can you talk about how the opioids grew and became uh, predominant and maybe some of the stories that you've experienced from the opioid epidemic? Well, you know, we've all probably seen the news the last couple of years with Purdue, which is the company that manufactures Oxycontin. <clears throat> the family that ran that was the Sackler family. There was something like 2,200 class action lawsuits, I think, in 2019, 2020 that were being, uh, you know, going after them for the manufacturing of that drug. They had a about a $28 billion group of sales and a company that was like less than 15 years old. One product, Oxycontin. Oxycontin was one of the biggest prescribed medications for everyone in America that had any kind of pain from any kind of incident from oral surgery to, you know, uh, an appendectomy to a broken arm, if you will, to, you know, impacted wisdom teeth, so on and so on. And it was prescribed like people were breathing in and out organically in, in the just doses of millions and millions. I'll give you an example. In 2016, 264 million prescriptions, 264 million prescriptions now, average prescription was for 30 or 60 days of Oxycontin were manufactured and distributed in this country. And according to science, anecdotally, if you will, and experientially, 61% of those still sit in medicine cabinets. And that is something, if a child gets a hold of it, is going to potentially cause an overdose and a death. So one of the things that I'm passionate about, I'm involved with, is a group called Safe Home Coalition here in San Diego. I happen to run the nonprofit, and I do that. You know, I don't have a lot of time for it because it's important. And our mission is teaching families how to get educated and remove unsafe and unused medication. So that was probably one of the biggest trajectories, if you will, William, about getting that medication out in people's hands. And what happened was the average person just like the average person doesn't drink a bottle of whiskey and become an alcoholic, but there are, you know, 15% of our country 
are predisposed to some form of addiction acting out because they have this disease or this allergy, if you will. And in our country, when you do the math on that, 15% of 330 million roughly, and the sad part is only 10% of those people will seek help. So we have a lot of people walking around untreated. And what's even more fascinating, when we start to dole out some of the data, each person who's impaired, okay, that means somebody who drank a lot last night, who's maybe hung over today, or is drunk today, or took a pill today, who's on the road that's impaired, will impact seven people negatively in their life, one way or another, whether it's taking kids to school, bumping into a significant other, somebody in their job, another family member. So if 15% of the country has a potential addiction that will erupt in the next year, and seven people will be impacted by each one of those, that's 85% of our population. Right, it's everybody. So, well, it, it basically is everybody. So when I talk about this, you know, I, and I get asked a lot by the media, try to stay positive. I'm trying to stay positive. But those are some scary figures. And They're scary are- figures. And you mentioned in your book that the losses and tragedies, mothers who didn't know their sons were involved, a guy who's permanently bedridden from an OD. I mean, it's just a tragedy. And the, the Sackler family or Purdue they were manipulating the doctors and giving out Benny's benefits and stuff like that to, to prescribe these drugs that are uh, toxic, that kill people. I mean, it's incredible. And I've seen, I've been in doctor's offices where the uh, pharmaceutical reps come in. I mean, it's, a, they look like models, the men and women. They're like super good looking people. They had all this stuff down to get all these drugs out. It's really incredible what they did and how pervasive it is. Can you talk about uh, what the signs are? I mean, you go through your book, you talk about the signs of somebody who's been uh, fact stats and stories that will shock, educate, and inspire. Can you talk about some of those stats? Sure. Some of the, you know, for example, you know, it's interesting you use that analogy because the the pharmaceutical distribution companies technically weren't owned by the manufacturer of Oxycontin. They were a third party that they would give a percentage of the sales to. So they had great incentives to look good, be good, feel good. Big salaries were doled out to them, big incentives to doctors, travel trips, things of that nature, and, you know, sample packs of whatever they could give away. uh, They were doing that. So is your question about the signs of somebody who might be addicted to opioids? Is that what your question was? I think that maybe that's the next step. It's like, how do you know, like people, the parents may not see their kids. They may be at work all day. Yeah. I mean, what are the signs that the, that there's a problem with drugs or opioids? Yeah. Let, let, and, and let's do that. Let's take the big picture piece, because I think with marijuana getting legalized now it, as quickly as the feds and the states can do it, uh, that's a big issue. Vaping's a big issue. Uh, right now, fentanyl, unfortunately, is getting into all kinds of different drugs, methamphetamine, powder, cocaine, crack cocaine, and also being put in vaping pipes and also in marijuana. And fentanyl is very poisonous and very dangerous. So from a helicopter perspective, you know, most parents know when their child is sick. They just know. You know, it used to be, hey, let's fill your forehead. Let's put a thermometer in your mouth. Well, back in my day, that's not where they put it. But, you know, they took their temperature and they figured out what was going on. And when they didn't understand, they would take them to the doctor. Okay. And if it was really bad, they'd take them to the emergency room. So what I tell parents is this. If you've got a shift going on in your child's life, weight gain, weight loss, behavioral, they're shutting down, sleep deprivation, new friends coming into the house. All of a sudden, they at dinner, if you see them, they start talking. They're avoiding you. 
they're they're avoiding eye contact. You notice that they've got a new set of friends. Uh, one of the easy facts is there's jewelry missing in the house. You know, a watch is gone. You know, one of your necklaces is gone. Money is gone from the you know candy jar. <clears throat> they you know your bank cards all of a sudden are seeing somebody who's getting gas four times a day at a gas station. They're not. They're working with somebody and they're you know trading their gas card for cash to buy you know, whatever substances they might be interested in. And of course, if someone's not feeling well, uh, you know, there's there's triggers to it because most people that are anesthetizing themselves, most people that are drinking all the time, they're trying to hide something. Something's not right. And I think as a parent, you probably see that, you sense it, you can experience it. And, but you, what you don't normally know, and this is what I do, is help understand how to get a better idea of what's going on with your child or someone you care about and someone you love. And the easiest and best way, the simplest way is to simply say, I'm watching you. It scares me. I'm concerned about you. Can we talk? And then stop. Just listen. Because they're waiting for the trigger words. You know, we saw you drink. You know, we know you threw up. Uh, you know, we went through your backpack. There were pills in the car. You smell like alcohol. You start labeling your child with what you've discovered they're going to hide. And now they're going to be more clandestine with their behavior. And they're going to find ways to hide what they do. Because nobody gets up in the morning and says, hey, mom, I'm going to get loaded today and try to kill myself. And I hope you have a great day. No one does that. So this is one of those things that if somebody has this disease of addiction, and it, to me, it's just like diabetes, William, just like diabetes. Some people have it. Some people don't. And when you get it treated and you manage it and you watch what you're doing with your body, you can live a normal life. That's the hope and help part that I talk about in the book as well. Because if you're taking something in your body because it helps you feel better, Okay, the odds are something else is going on, but you can't deal with what else is going on until you eradicate the anesthesia, which is what I call the mood altering substances. And that's what I do as a life coach and a crisis coach is I help families navigate, not necessarily take the child by the hand, but lead them in a direction that will potentially get them to the highest and best level of care in their community. And there's a lot of resources out there, you know, your primary doctors, your faith-based leaders. And I'd be willing to bet anyone and anyone who's listening to my voice or seeing this today knows a family who's lost a loved one, or that family knows somebody who's lost a loved one to some form of overdose or some sort of alcohol abuse or substance use disorder, or has lost someone they care about to somebody who was under the influence, who was impaired and driving and took their life. Right. So there's all those, the, all those uh, issues going on with somebody who's using, and there's so many risks out there today. I mean, why do people maintain kind of willful ignorance or complacency in the face of these kind of drug threats? Great, great question. First of all, young people, you know, 
I was going to say, we think we're invincible, but I'm no longer young, so I can't use that euphemism. But young people think it's never going to happen to them. Families think their son or daughter are never going to abuse drugs unless they've had experience with an older sibling or, you know, or a sibling of theirs or one of the older siblings of their children, or it's in their family and they know it's been there. And what happens is people think it's never going to happen to them. Now, the person who suffers from this disease of addiction, they have a, a disease, if you will, of the inability to feel feelings. And more importantly, the number one diagnosis is they have this level of denial, meaning they don't believe they have a problem. The people that call me and ask for help, generally speaking, are not the per person who's consuming or self-medicating. It's usually the family member who is witnessing this behavior and doesn't know what to do about it. So you've got a disease of denial, the inability to feel feelings, which means they're anesthetizing themselves because organically they just can't process like the average person might be able to. So what they're doing is they're doing things in a way that they think makes them feel better, helps them cope, allows them to deal with the ups and downs in life. But, you know, a true substance use disorder sufferer, if you will, will take something in their body, whether it's Wednesday and sunny, rainy and Thursday, loss of a job, catastrophic event, win of the lottery. It doesn't really matter because there's something in their brain that just doesn't work the right way. And science hasn't figured it out yet. And, you know, so I just heard today, I go to a, a meeting a couple of days a week that somebody said that someone's creating a pill now that allows you to take a pill and have only one drink. And, you know, my colleagues at the, at the uh, anonymous meeting, somebody said, why would I want to take a pill and just take one drink? That, that defeats the whole purpose. But there are people out there who are suffering who can't flip that switch and stop. So something like that, if it truly works, could be a great tool, at least to get somebody moving in the right direction, or at least away from, you know, a true uh, full-blown alcoholism issue. And then, when again, when you remove the anesthesia, we have to start dealing with the feelings. And you can't treat the behavioral health side until you remove the anesthesia. Right. So you got to take the anesthesia out. Why do you think that, I mean, considering the amount of addiction in this country, why is there a psychological or sociological stigma associated with addiction? Well, I, I think people think that you can stop, you know? I mean, I can remember over the years, people, when, you know, when DUIs were so uh, prevalent, you know, and now they just group them under impaired driving. You know, a lot of it's mood-altering substances, can be somebody who's on the cell phone or distracted by something else, watching YouTube on their screen, whatever. And I think what happened is that people just got, you know, uncomfortable with talking about it. So rather than talk about it, we just kind of ignored it. But when you think about it, you know, look, why do people still drink and get behind the wheel of a car? That is amazing to me. You know, you got Uber, you got Lyft, you got ways to go. You got bars that'll give you free rides, restaurants that'll offer you free rides. Why would someone ever get behind the wheel while they're under the influence of something mood altering? And it's still being done, you know? Look, we've got issues right now in our country. Why would someone run the risk? And, and people just don't believe it's going to happen to them. And they, they, they stick to their laurels, and they just keep moving through life, and some get lucky and some don't. But that can happen to anybody. So I'm still baffled by it. I'm still baffled by it. And, you know, when you think about it, I mean, when I talk to people, 250 die, uh, die every day behind opioids. 
That doesn't count alcohol, by the way, or methamphetamine right. or other prescription medication or marijuana. That's just incredible. Or and the marijuana is what you point out in your book. The marijuana is so much more powerful now. I didn't even know this whole story of dabbing. I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. But yeah, it's incredible. So what do you what do you think the next steps? If you know somebody needs help or your teen needs help, what steps do you advise? Three of the hardest words in the English language are I need help. If your child were to break their arm, trust me, I would believe 99% of you would not go to your laptop and open up YouTube and see how to reset a broken arm. Don't try to do this on your own. I mean, most people won't even fix a clogged toilet on their own. And when your septic tank or your sewer backs up, you call the drain person. When your car breaks down, you call a tow truck. When you breathe in or you bite a piece of ice and your tooth hurts like someone just hit you with a hammer, you go to the dentist. Call an expert. I'm an expert, but you have some in your community as well. But don't try to fix this yourself. And sometimes when I hear parents say, well, we've really loved our child, but this has nothing to do with that. This has nothing to do with loving your child because in some cases, if you're not getting a child support, and I use the word child metaphorically, meaning it could be your 36-year-old, 34-year-old, 50-year-old, doesn't matter, or it could be your grandchild. Because right now, tying back into the grandchildren, if you're a grandparent, you have grandkids come over all the time, and you have Oxycontin sitting in your medicine cabinet, they've been on social media. They know where to get this stuff. So put it in a safe place or get rid of it, but find out how to do it. So it's like anything else that we're trying to do in our world, you know, improve our quality of life, you know, reduce our carbon uh, footprint. You know, my wife and I are arguing about reducing gluten in our diet. You know, whenever the word gluten comes up for me personally, because I'm one of those guys that grew up on Jack in the Box and I, you know, I I can eat leather fried, anything fried, but it's not good for you. I get it. But It's, you know, I don't have many things left. I have an extra cup of coffee sometimes, and that's like my big, big deal. And I sometimes hope and pray that it'll tweak me just a little bit because I'm not about to step up to anything else. So just families know that it's not your fault, okay? First of all, it's not your fault. This is an, an issue that can be resolved, but it requires expertise generally outside of most people's comfort zone. But it's not hard. Don't you think an expert can address questions objectively that families may not be able to do? You know, it's interesting. I I do interventions all the time with families and we go through, usually everybody wants to tell their story about what's going on with Johnny. And he's been doing this since he was 18. How old is he now? 42. Is he living at home? Yes. And I said, you know, the big difference between you and me and, and, you know, it's kind of a tongue in cheek question. And the families always go, well, you're an expert. I said, well, that's true, but that's not the number one answer. And then they go on, well, you have experience. I said, no, the difference between you and me is I'm not family. So sometimes just having somebody who's not family saying the same thing you did, there's a difference because what comes with this behavior, which is interesting, I've learned in my time working with others, it's when somebody is under the influence and they're doing goofy things, I call it stuck on stupid, they're not blind to this. They get it. I mean, they they sober up at some point. I mean, they can look around the room. They can check the, you know, 
the, the scratches on their arm or their fingers being banged in a door or the knots on their head. This is just what happened to me. They are ashamed of what's happening. So they're not about to reveal to you what happened last night, assuming they can remember. So know that by understanding the characterizations and understanding the modalities and understanding what's taking place with their behavior, and they're not consciously usually making that decision, they don't say, I'm going to really get drunk tonight. They start drinking, the flip, the switch gets flipped, and that's what happens with this disease of addiction. So know that until you learn how to work with that and how to modify it and how to be in support of it, you're not going to be able to create systemic change. That's where outside expertise needs to come into your life. And when you think about this, this is fascinating, I think, William. No matter what you go to the hospital for, this disease of addiction is the only maladaptive behavior that when you, years ago, used to be, you'd walk in, and if you didn't say you were ready for help, they wouldn't help you. No other disease do they do that. They bring you in, they put you on the gurney, they take the test. You know, and, and most hospitals have gotten rid of doing treatment because think about the customer. They come in handcuffed to a gurney. They're not the most cooperative patient, you know, on the floor, and they're not willing, especially when they're under the influence. And now what's happening with the overdose rate being so high, people come in, they reverse the overdose generally with naloxone it's, or Narcan. Narcan is the delivery system. And they hear, I hear these stories about, they call them the frequent flyers. We saw this guy three times last week come in on a, an ambulance and he had overdosed three times, same drug. And, and to your earlier question, why would someone keep doing that? It's, it's like they're playing Russian roulette. Eventually they're not gonna come out a winner. Yeah, well, it's not only, not only playing Russian roulette, but it's almost like they're a TEDx talker. They're trying to demonstrate to others, this can be done. And I do it all the time. I mean, I know I know people who are actively using, who carry Narcan around, and they give it to their buddies and say, look, if for some reason you see me overdose, be sure to put this up my nose and squirt it. There was a story here in San Diego a couple of months ago about this methamphetamine addict, self-admitted, an article in the newspaper. And he says, methamphetamine now is cut with fentanyl. He goes, I'm a meth addict. I don't want to overdose. So when I get my methamphetamine, it's like a, it was like a commercial. He goes, I use my dipstick and I make sure there's no fentanyl in it because I don't want to overdose. I mean, that's the kind of age we're in today. That's who I it's call crazy. They just had somebody here. I think it was a kind of a low level comedian died from tainted cocaine with fentanyl. Mm -hmm. and they all OD'd. One guy survived and two died. So exactly. these dangers are out there like super risky behavior. I mean... You know, I got a, I got a, some colleagues that, that work in the DEA, and <clears throat> I've asked the question, you know, because they ask the question when they arrest these distributors, why why would you sell something that kills your consumer? And you know what the answer is? Their answer has been universally for at least a decade now, you know, going back to methamphetamine, cocaine, other things. When one of our customers, and, and I heard this almost verbatim from somebody who made an arrest, one of our customers dies from an overdose. We get, listen to this, we get free publicity. And I'm thinking, when do you actually ever pay for publicity to distribute cocaine laced with fentanyl? But that's how they talk. Can you imagine 
what a national marketing meeting must be like with the manufacturers of fentanyl and cocaine and methamphetamine when they get together. And by the way, you know, I understand there are rumors that the Mexican cartel and, and China, the representatives who distribute this uh, medicine, medication to the world, they're talking to each other because they, they're keeping an eye on market share. Methamphetamine, I'll give an example. 10 years ago, a pound would cost around $11,000 methamphetamine coming across the border from one of the big Mexican super labs. Today, okay, even more potent methamphetamine than 10 years ago, a pound is around $1,100. Wow. $1,100. And it's like four times more potent. So that is what's going on today. So, you know, as we wrap this up, you know, leaving a message because I, I just, you're familiar with Nextdoor, right? Nextdoor.com, the neighborhood. So I, <laughs> somebody wrote a nice article and quoted me in it about marijuana. And this guy got real upset and he goes, I've been smoking marijuana my whole life. And he goes, and I've never had a memory problem and I've never had an overdose and I smoke it all the time today. And I just chimed in and I said, how do you know you don't have a memory problem? Number one. And number two, the THC in marijuana today is almost 80%, you know, and when I was smoking it growing up, it was seven or 8%. And the same thing with methamphetamine, the potency is so strong. So what I, you know, and I'm not, and you do a background check on me, I'm not the guy that should tell you not to party. What I just simply say is, if you're putting something in your body and you don't know where it came from, and there's a risk factor that there's poison in there that could kill you. And this is what's happening at college campuses right now, at high school and middle school. And I just heard last week, William, the newest trend for young people, moving they're moving away from alcohol uh, just because it puts weight on you, calories, is hallucinogens. Again, LSD and, and magic mushrooms. And that is scary. It's just crazy. It's crazy that it's still around. These new generations haven't learned the the lessons of the old ones. Well, what, what is it? What is it? Our generation always said anything that's good is going to come back around again, you know, or everything comes back around again. But I, I think you kind of you nailed it. And one of your questions is societally, what the heck is going on that we feel like we have to anesthetize ourselves? On a daily basis to the point, and you know, it's, and this, so this guy that I was talking about, the marijuana, let me jump back to that real quick, because I think it's important. He says, I've never heard of anybody dying from marijuana. Okay, overdosing. Well, if you talk to anybody in the criminal justice system or the Med American Medical Association about the state of Colorado, when marijuana was first legalized, and it still continues to go on, somebody who takes in an edible, okay, because they don't know what the dose is for their own body physiologically. And then they take a second dose because they're not getting high enough, quick enough. They can hallucinate. And, you know, when you read about, you know, the dabbing and Laura, uh, the, the book that she wrote about the Johnny's ambassadors, that's what happened to her son. He got a hold of a batch or a batch got a hold of him of some very intensely high THC marijuana. And he acted out in a way that actually killed him. So, it may not necessarily be what marijuana does to you, but it was it causes you to do that potentially can kill you. And, right. You know, it, it is a, it's a, just a very it's it's just a very sensitive time to be have a heightened awareness. And again, I don't want to tell people don't party. What I want to say is, if you go to a Skittles party, I don't know if you've heard of those or not yet. Or everybody, no, what's that? What's a Skittles party? 
everybody comes to a, the, the party and they bring a pill and everybody puts them in a bowl. And at a certain time of the night, somebody rings a bell, breaks a bottle, throws somebody through a window, whatever it is. And everybody goes to the bowl and takes something. Well, what if you're taking Xanax, that's counterfeit medication that somebody put some fentanyl in? That's what you hear about these people, accidental overdoses. That's what's going on. They're taking stuff and potentially because they're already on prescription medication, it go, it does not mix well. Right. It causes a major issue. So if somebody's listening right now, they suspect or they may have the problem or a family or loved one has a problem, what do you recommend the next step should be? Well, I, I, look, <clears throat> I, I believe in the easier, softer way. Call me. I mean, wherever you are, if you're hearing this, call me, 619-993-2738. That's 619-993-2738. Call me or text me or go on to my website, yourcrisiscoach.com, and then email me, and then let's talk about it. Now, if you're thinking, oh, I live in New York, and I only want to talk to somebody in my city, then call the crisis hotlines. Call your behavioral health, you know, alcohol and drug system within your county or within your region or within your borough and make sure you reach out to somebody. I mean, if nothing else, call one of the anonymous, you know, 12-step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, and, you know, Smart Recovery. There's our, you know, Lifeline. There are tons of different ways now, tons, literally, to, to get help. But if you say to each other, honey, we can fix him. We'll just, we'll keep an eye on him. We won't let him out of the house. Well, when you go to sleep, that's when he's going to get out of the house. So that's not the best choice. Getting an expert is the best choice and and dealing with it immediately. These are not issues or situations that you want to let uh, keep going. I know there's probably a lot of parents out there or loved ones who are uh, kicking themselves for, you know, letting things go too far, something really before something really bad happens. Right. I mean, this, this is one of those things. I'm sorry to interrupt. This is one of those things that don't, they don't, they don't generally self-correct. They won't fix themselves and they generally get a lot worse. There's a saying in the term in the fields of recovery, you know, jails, institutions, or death, jails, institutions, or death. Meaning if you're on this trajectory and you're taking mood-altering substances, and your tolerances are are shifting, and you need to put more in your body, and you're starting to mix drugs, and then you finally get to a psychiatrist, and you get prescription medication, but you keep taking the street drugs. It's a perfect storm. I mean, that's exactly what killed Whitney Houston. And, you know, it was Dr. Drew for three days was upset with the world because he said, this has never happened in the industry with celebrities and musicians, people overdosing. People have been doing heroin forever. But he said prescription medication with street drugs, with counterfeit medication mixed together, we don't have the science. So, again, just be careful. Have fun, but be careful. Right. It's like a dangerous environment right now. What steps will you take if somebody reached out to you or somebody like you? What steps do you take to try to ameliorate the situation? Well, first of all, I I really try to encourage families to understand that what's going on is not their fault. Second, what happened yesterday, we cannot change. Third, if something serious is taking place, let's don't hope it goes away and let's architect the plan as quickly as possible so we talk about next steps. You know, I'm not one of those kind of people that we talk today and then, you know, you call me back in a month. We, we jump in it and as a coach. I, you know, and I take calls all the time because I can right now. And I'm always back to somebody within 24 hours. And, in, and again, in your own community, if you know somebody, you may have a family member. When you think about the conversation we're having today, you may go, you know what? 
my my sister's brother's uncle went through this. And, and by thinking about that, you can make that call immediately. So if you can't reach me, reach somebody. But just know that by holding your breath, it's not going to go away. Right, right. So people really need to nip it in the bud or stop it, especially. Right. I mean, your book is replete with, you know, full of stories of people who had the tragedy happen, which doesn't have to be the outcome, you know. Correct. You have a You have a choice today, and there's always hope and help. And there's always a way to get somebody, you know, access to that. Look, they have to want to go at some point, but how you motivate them is by getting educated yourself. So it's kind of like telling somebody, you want to learn to cook? Go watch the cooking channel. Well, that might work for some people, but if you don't have the basics, you need to help them get the tools. And by you having the tools, you become a much better advocate for that person to get on the path and help create systemic change. And in your book, you have resources too. So if people get this book, if there's a situation going on, you got resources, Aluna Network, APA, you can get all these things that are up to Johnny's ambassadors. You can get all those contact informations to take those steps. Um, Scott, where's the best place to get this book, The Opioid Epidemic? Best place is just to go on to Amazon. That's the fastest way. You know, you go there and you get it. Your prime customer, you get it the next day. I have them here at my home, but Amazon's the quickest way to do it. I don't make as much money that way, but I, you know, I really don't care. I want to, I want a family to call me and go, Hey, I got your book. I read it. We talked to the family. We sat down with our loved one. We did what you suggested. They're four weeks into treatment. They're coming out. They're going to be going to a sober living. They're, we talked to their employer. They're going to keep their job open for them as long as they do certain things. And we believe at this point in time, it's the first time we may have our son back because we have not been able to look in his eyes and know who he has been for almost a decade. So thank you. Those are the kind of things I want this book to do. And the tools are in the book to do that. Great. And your website, do you sell your book through your website, Scott H. I Silverman? Okay. Your, your crisiscoach.com. And your, your crisiscoach.com. Crisis and give me your give me your phone number out one more time before we break. 619-993-2738. 619-993-2738. And I dare you to call me because a lot of people are like, well, you know, I get phone. I had someone call me the day, literally. Listen, William, they said, I've had your number for two years. I saw you on TV and I just, I wasn't sure when I should call. And, you know, and so what's going on? Well, our son got arrested again and it looks like he might be doing state prison time. Don't, don't wait to make a phone call. Yeah, and if you don't want to call me, call somebody. Because, you know, when he goes off to state prison, and California's got one of the worst systems in the country. Recidivism, right? He's going to be in and out of that system for a long time. Well, not only that, he's going to learn tips and tricks on how to avoid getting caught in the future. And those are not the tools. I mean, he might get lucky and meet somebody and get sobriety. and But, you know, trying to survive in prison. I've not been there, but I worked with people for decades that did. It's not an easy place to go. And look, somehow he survived his incident. He's going to prison. But imagine, I don't have to tell you the stories. You all read the newspaper. You see the news. You see it on social media. There's there's no way you're not aware of what's going on. And by the way, today we're just talking about the USA. I don't even want to go into what I know is going on in Australia, what's taking place right now in Western Europe. There's no reason for it because 
they're mirroring everything that we're doing. And they're the secondary markets that the big distributors are going after because, you know, as the DEA and the Department of Justice puts pressure and the doctors, which is fascinating, stop prescribing Oxycontin. There's a lot of people out there addicted to opioids. So, you know, and this is something a lot of people don't know. The Sackler family, the ones who ran Purdue, basically took their operation from America and moved it over to Europe. So they're now doing the same thing over there. Wow, that's sick. Think that's about so that. crazy. That is. They're monsters, yeah. Oh, man, great book. People go check out this book again. The title is The Opioid Epidemic. What You Don't Know Will Destroy Your Family and Your Life, published May 2021 by Scott H. Silverman. And you can check out his uh, contact information in the book and all the contacts that he has and the resources that are in the book. And tell, tell your website and phone number one more time. 619-993-2738. Now, William is making me give this out. So now there's no excuse for you. Yourcrisiscoach.com, yourcrisiscoach.com. And if you're saying, I forgot, just Google Scott H. Silverman. That's why I punch up the H because there's a guy with the name Scott Silverman in Japan. And he gets so irritated when I do something like this and he gets phone calls or emails. And I said, I'll do my best to encourage the host and throw the H in there. So please call me, text me, email me. And if it's not me, it's somebody. By the way, if I cannot help you, I promise, I promise, I will find a way to help you help you. Meaning right. if I can't help you solve your issue or I, it, you know, we're too far apart geographically, we will talk about what next steps look like. We'll talk about what navigation looks like. We'll talk about what's going on in your world so we can, you know, get you on the phone to make the appropriate phone calls. Because I, trust me, there's not a county in this country right now that is not, you know, paying attention to what's going on. Now, it's interesting. I want to mention one more thing before we go. I sent my book to every governor in the U.S., okay? I got a book sent back to me this week. I won't tell you what governor because I'm going to call him next week or his office. Sent the book back and said, we don't accept gifts, okay? And you've heard us talking now for nearly 40 minutes about what a great tool book, toolkit this book is. And of the other 49 governors, I got six nice thank you notes that said thank you for the book. There is not a state in this country that isn't experiencing an overdose increase rate. And I didn't disclose and I will now. San Diego last year is up 400% just from the opioid overdose deaths. 400%. We're a border town, 3.3 million people. We're pretty sophisticated. In my book is a representative of the DEA. In my book is our district attorney. So these are people who care a lot. But you know what? This thing is out of control. And let me leave you with that. But there's hope and help. You're great. Thanks, Scott, so much for the information. Thanks for the book. Again, the title, The Opioid Epidemic, What You Don't Know Will Destroy Your Family and Your Life by Scott H. Silverman. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Stay there.